Hi. Uh, good afternoon. Uh, welcome. We're gonna we're gonna make a little start, and um, the way this is gonna work is I'm gonna talk for a little bit, and then Mike's gonna talk for a little bit, and we we'll probably just interrupt each other as we go, um, just with anything that comes into our heads. But in a nutshell, we want to address kind of a number of issues, really, and a number of things that sometimes, as guys, we don't always spend that much time thinking about, and that's. On one level, absolutely fine. I think it's great that we spend a lot of time thinking about football manager, and um, I think that's very important. But obviously, it's helpful at certain times to kind of pause and, and, and stop and think about all sorts of issues about, well, who am I, and how, you know, how's God made me, and how have I grown up, and how can, I, how can I go places? And the reason to do that is not simply because we want to sit around and talk about our feelings together. The reason is um, knowing ourselves and having a good understanding of ourselves is actually what frees us so often to become more whole because we realize areas that we are broken in and we realize areas we maybe need to work on. And also, it's like the more we get to know that and the more we understand ourselves, the freer we become to help others and to serve others and to, to, to fight for what God's called us to do. So we're kind of going to address that as a theme um, in and amongst some of the other things that we're going to be talking about. And the place that I want to start is by, by, by really making this point. When we become Christians and we sign up to, to follow Jesus, we really become part of an army. And we become, uh, we're called, we're drafted into the kingdom of God. And there is something of a war going on. It's not something we make a big thing of sometimes, but there is, a, there is definitely a sense that God is, if you like, conquering the world. The way he's doing it is not through uh, nuclear weapons and all of that. He's doing it through what we see really clearly through his son Jesus, which is this thing of love. But there's a war on. And so when we get called to be followers of Jesus, we are called to sing and love God with a passion. But the way that that is, out, is outworked is in the lives and the decisions we make and the things that we fight for. And sometimes what we can think is to become a Christian is literally it's just like, I'm going to stop doing all of this stuff. And we think about it in terms of stopping. There's all these things that I'm doing or my mates are doing and I just need to stop doing that. Well, it, it's not just that. It's not that we stop doing certain things. It's that there is, a, there is a trumpet call from God to join in with things that he is, he is on the move with. And someone once described darkness and, if you like, all the things of this world that maybe aren't very nice, not as um, they don't kind of sit there like a just like a chair or a, a lamp or something. They don't just sit there. They're more like a disease and they spread, like a fire spreads. And the way in which we as Christians are called to be are effectively people that fight that and people who counter that and people who, who, who are willing to go the distance and to risk everything to make that difference. So that's kind of the goal and the big picture and the dream. The question that loads of us have is, okay, well, if that's what we want to do, how do we do that? You know, what are the practical things we can do? Are there, are there steps we can take that, that means we become more able to do stuff like that? And I just want to share really three simple points. And it's from the life of a guy called Joshua in the Old Testament. And Joshua was um, a servant to a guy called Moses, who God used in a really powerful way. But Joshua effectively ended up with Israel, who were an army of wimps. They were this just army of people who were terrified and undisciplined. And he had to use this wimpish little army to conquer a land. So his job, given by God, and you can read about it in the book of Joshua, is that he had to conquer an entire land, and he had to take over for God's people. How did he go about doing that? I think there are three secrets to Joshua's success in winning his battles. And the first one um, is that 
this is what I'm going to call it, and I'll explain it, is that he stayed in the tent. He stayed in the tent. And what I mean by that is Israel had a tent that they would pitch near their camp and God's presence would come and rest on the tent like a big, literally like a pillar of fire or a, a, a big cloud would come and they would re- it would rest on the tent. And then um, that's where God was living. And Moses used to go and hang out with God in the tent and Joshua would go too. And there's this little bit in Exodus 33 verse 11 where it says they would be hanging out, Moses, Joshua and God in the tent and then Moses would get up and leave the tent and Joshua would stay there. He would just stay there. Now, what does that say? What that says is Joshua spent a heck of a lot of time in God's presence. He spent time with him, and he spent time getting to know him, and he spent time um, just enjoying him. And the place that the battle begins is not when we rush out of soul survival, or we rush out of church, and we start, you know, like, building God's kingdom in that sense. The place the battle begins is when it's just me and him. It's just the two of us. Because how you talk to God when no one else is around says more about what you think of him than the songs that we sing. That relationship with God is the place that it always, always has to begin. It's where we get rooted. And if if we hear about men who have done incredible things for God. You know, there are men throughout the ages who have literally converted continents, who have uh, led, and I'm not just talking converting continents, there are men who have led their neighbors to the Lord, who have stepped in and rescued people, who are fighting currently against sex trafficking and stuff like that. The way, the, the place that it starts for every Christian bloke is it starts with us and him. It starts with us and him. Think about it. In an ideal world, the place it should start for every guy is our dad, isn't it? It should start with our dad. It doesn't always because our dads aren't perfect. But certainly as God's sons, it starts with that. And so what, what I'd encourage all of us to do is to think, how's my relationship with God growing? What am I doing to invest in it? Am I finding ways to just be near him, to spend time with him? And that's no more complicated than spending time in his word, reading it, thinking it, chewing on it, spending time in prayer, growing in practices like that. There, there'll be other seminars that are on that, those sort of subjects, but it starts with that. It starts with being near him, getting to know him. Secondly, if Joshua stayed in the tent, the second thing that Joshua did is he stayed with Moses. So he became Moses' assistant when he was quite young. And Moses was the big leader, and Joshua grew up, and he grew up as Moses' assistant. Now, there could have been a point where Joshua said, you know what, I've had enough of being an assistant here. I'm going to go off and start my own, you know, people. We're going to call them Joshua's people, and we're going to, you know, I want to be in charge. And uh, instead, what Joshua does is he keeps and he stays as Moses' assistant. And this is another really key thing for any of us if we want to go off and and change things and do things. Joshua was a learner. He was willing to stay and he was willing to learn. And that th- this thing about learning, it matters so much because if we've got a willingness to learn, there's nothing we can't grow in. There's no area we can't develop. And learning involves, first of all, learning about ourselves, but it also involves learning from other people. And as I have uh, followed Jesus, I have learned quite a few things about myself. When I came to know God, I was 16 years old, and I had... Um, made certain decisions in my life about how I wanted to live. So one big decision that I made, and I wasn't consciously doing it, but it was when I was 16 and I got dumped. Anyone here ever been dumped? Only one. <laughs> uh, we can talk afterwards, mate. But, um, you know, I got, I got dumped, yeah? And that was bad. And so I, and I got really hurt. I was really hurt in that. So what I decided to do is I was never going to let anyone hurt me again. And so I remember the morning I was in the shower, and I, it wasn't like I was consciously doing it but I just remember the very time that I decided I said 
I'm never going to let anyone do that to me again. No one's going to do that to me again. And at that point, what I effectively did is I put the armor on and I put the walls up and I said, no one's getting in behind my kind of castle anymore. I'll be safe. And what, what, what I became was I was quite friendly, you know, and I had friends and I, I, I think I was an all right guy, but um, there was a limit to how close I would ever let anyone get to me, whether they were a girl or a guy. There was a limit and beyond that, they couldn't go. And at the time, I didn't realize I was doing that. I honestly didn't realize it. The, the, the place that that began to change for me was actually when I moved to Watford and I started hanging out with Mike. And um, you, 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 I'm sure you've noticed, but he's a little bit over the top and he's a little bit, you know, kind of eccentric and there are all these other things. And so I was hanging around and the, the truth is it felt like, oh my word, you're enjoying life. You're certainly enjoying food in a way I've never have done. But you also seem to be enjoying life. And you seem to have this, this air about you, this thing about you, just so relaxed. And, and I, I realized that I'd actually grown quite cold as a, as a person. And I'd grown quite hard. And then what God began to do is he began to soften me. And one of the things I'm just trying to say to you is, in, in terms of being willing to learn... It's like, Lord, I want you to show me areas of my life that maybe I've made decisions that haven't always been that good. Begin to open me up to them. And for me, it was a process. It, it was all to do with vulnerability, really. It was like, I thought, I'm never going to be vulnerable again because as long as I'm not vulnerable, no one can hurt me. And then um, one time, Mike said to me, actually, Andy, well, what about the fact that Jesus was vulnerable? And that was the point where I suddenly thought, okay, well, if Jesus did it by being a baby and then dying on a cross and so if he was vulnerable, maybe I need to think about it. And it was a journey, but the Lord began to show me stuff like that. The other thing is not just learning about ourselves, it's learning about from other people. And there's a little saying that everyone we meet in our lives will in some way be our superior. So everyone we meet in our lives will in some way be better than us at something. And having a, having a humility to learn from that is, the, is one of the most amazing ways to grow and to change. So I've, I've got one mate of mine called Paddy, and we've known each other since we were 11 years old, and he really led me to Jesus. And uh, um, if you met Paddy, you, you know, he's just this wimpy little guy, and, uh, but he's, he's a great friend of mine. And on one level, maybe on the surface, people wouldn't see there was anything very impressive about Paddy, but I know him well. And uh, I know that there's all sorts of things I can learn from him. One is he's always serving. You know, you come to our church in Watford and you'll see Paddy there with his high-vis jacket on, guiding the cars in, and you'll see him stacking up the chairs at the end. And although on one level he's not, he, people might not think what he's doing is impressive, for me, I just see his heart and I, and, and I love that and it challenges me. There's another guy called Eddie Lyle who's doing some seminars here. And I just bumped into him um, just earlier on. And I love hanging out with Eddie Lyle because every time I chat to him, I learn something new. You know, uh, every time I talk to him, I say, oh, I'm struggling. I'm, I'm not sure, Eddie, what, I'm, you know, what do you think about how we should live with our money? Because I just, I, I, I don't know if I'm making the right decisions here. And he sits me down. He just says, well, Andy, what about this and what about that? There are other people. There's a guy called Todd Atkinson who I met once. And he was an interesting character. He was this Canadian. And he just... Um, he just, he just loved the presence of God. And so I remember going for a walk with him one time outside one of these main meetings. And he just said, whoa, the presence of God is just pouring out of that place. And um, I was like, is it, is it really? How do, how do you see that? How do you know that? I can't see that. Have you got special goggles on? Like, how do you know the presence of God is pouring out? And, and, and being willing to constantly ask questions. And we can learn from anyone. We can learn from, obviously, our youth leaders, but also each other. And what we find is iron sharpens iron. 
So Joshua was willing to stay with Moses. He was willing to keep learning, keep growing. The moment that we think we've arrived, that's when God's not going to be able to use us for anything greater than he's using us now. You never arrive. Always keep learning. Finally and briefly, the third lesson uh, from the life of Joshua is that Joshua actually went out to fight. You know, he spent his time in the, in the tent. And I think that's where he won his battle. Um, but he also learned, and then finally he went out and he actually conquered it. And again, this is the great call. This is the great cry. What many of us do is we don't. And sometimes the church, it can seem like, the way one person described it is it seems like one of those statues of a horse. You know, you see in, in the marketplaces of these old towns, you see these statues of horses like that. And they're all sort of ready to jump. And you can see all the muscles are bunched up on them. And they look like they're literally just about to take off. And they're about to leap off into the sky and do something. And it's like the, some, some persons describe the church as a bit like that. You know, and we come to these things and we're so ready. We're so ready to take off. We're so ready. But then you come back 20 years later and we're in exactly the same place. And we haven't actually gone for it. We haven't actually stepped out. And this is the way that we grow in God is we practically, practically begin to take steps. And so what might that be? What is some, one, one thing I'd ask you about is, what's something that would scare the heck out of you? What would really scare you to do it for God? To go up and to pray for someone in the streets? To, uh, to tell some of your mates who don't even know you're a Christian that you're a Christian and this is what the gospel is? To talk to your parents about it? To open up your heart to someone? To really say, this is what's really going What would scare the heck out of you? That's one place you can begin to put the... Put your actions to your words and your desires. To begin to find those things and say, I'm going to step in and I'm going to grow in it. One thing for me is I'm very challenged by um, Robbie Dawkins, who, who, who got off a plane and went to a pub yesterday and ended up praying for this person's tumor that they had on their foot and just went for it. And the thing that impresses me about that is not necessarily that the person got healed or that, they, that there's some good stuff that happened there. It's the fact that he's actually got the guts to do that because I don't. That sort of thing scares the heck out of me. And I've been trying and hearing stories about people doing stuff like that for so long now. I'm getting so frustrated that all I do is I hear it and I enjoy it and I read about it, but I don't actually do it. And the call is to do it. The call is to step out. God said, hey, Josh, go conquer this land. Josh looked to God for his own security. He learned about himself and he learned from others. But then he also got out his sword and he went off to do it. And that's what we're going to begin to try to do if we can. Michael. And I just want to just carry on from that and just give a few thoughts. And Andy's going to interrupt, I hope, uh, at different times. And just uh, um, we're just going to kind of do this together and then we'll see where we go. Um, there's a, a, a scripture... Um, in uh, James, and it starts, I think, in James 1, verse 2. And uh, James says to, in his letter, uh, Consider it pure joy, my dear brethren, when you face trials of various kinds, for the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And... Uh, one of the, 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 I believe, the great missing ingredient in most of our lives as followers of Jesus today is perseverance. It's a wonderful spiritual gift. 
Uh, it's, uh, it's something that we all need to ask for. Because the thing that defeats most of us is not defeat, it's not getting up again. We're all going to fail, but some of us get up again, others of us don't. And you know, I think um, uh, the, 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 the great thing that, it, that God is looking for in us is a faith that just keeps going. A faith that plods on. A faith that just gets up and has another go. A faith that faces failure and says, it didn't kill me. I'm going to keep going and I'm going to keep going because I want to follow Jesus and I want to make a difference in this life. You know what happened this morning in the ministry time? On one level, it was wonderful. On another level, honestly, every time we see that, it kills. It just kills me. Because it just you, you just realize it's the tip of the iceberg. There were all those folk that came forward. And there were a whole bunch of others that didn't. Who are broken in, a, in different ways. Who have been robbed by Satan and by life. Uh, from living a full life. Who have been damaged. And I, I spent half my year traveling in different countries around the world. And I tell you, everywhere I go. Everywhere I go, I get, I get folk coming up to me quietly, uh, uh, not in the meetings, not in the middle, but quietly at the end of meetings, wanting to tell me their story and saying how they're struggling with life, how there's these things that have happened to them. You know, we, we've got an enemy. Uh, the human race has got an enemy who's trying to destroy us. And uh, there's, there's evil in the world. And Jesus came to break the power of the enemy. He came to break the power of sin. And sin is so much more than what many of us seem to think. It, it's, it's so much more than thinking lustful thoughts every now and again. You know, the heart, the heart of sin is when we damage each other, when we live selfishly. Sin is spelled S-I-N. I is at the heart of sin. And you know that sin is destroying human beings. I've heard horror stories. You're going to hear some horror stories tonight. Uh, I'm going to interview a friend of mine who's just an ordinary guy called Daniel. Uh, that's going to be instead of the talk. And uh, I'm just going to get him to tell his story and of some of the things he's seen and done. And, uh, and you, you know, we, God's called us. He's called us to change the world. He's called you and me to spend ourselves, to give ourselves so that the world will be different. Because Jesus gave himself for us and he calls us to live for him and to live for him in this world. And, uh, and that doesn't mean that we live without failure. That doesn't mean we don't mess up. Uh, some of us mess up all the time. What it does mean is we keep getting back up. We, you know, have you seen the Rocky films? Um, I've not really seen, I think I saw one Rocky film, but Andy loves them and he's seen them all many times. And, and the thing with the Rocky films, it's usually Rocky against either some big Russian or some other bloke, and, and usually he's getting, he's getting beaten up. And then the last round, isn't it? He suddenly, he's about to, to collapse. He's about to, he just finds it in him. And he wins the last round. And he, if, if I remember the one I saw, it's something like that. You might need to switch it on. No? Oh, you're on. The battery ran out, I think. Um, yeah, and in Rocky Six, he says, it's not how hard you can get, you can hit, it's how hard you can keep hit and get, keep going. 
I mean, they're unbelievably unrealistic, the Rocky films. You must have seen it. In, in Rocky Six, it's like a 70-year-old man gets in the ring with the current world heavyweight boxing champion. Does he lose? Is it not like a draw or something? Anyway. Uh, okay. Should we have a... Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and, and, and you know the thing on that? The thing on that is, 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 is actually simply simply getting up again, simply keeping going. And you know, God's called us as, as, as men who follow him uh, to, to live a life of ad adventure, to live, to live a life not just to exist in security, but to live in adventure. And too many of us, we choose to exist in security when actually God wants us to take risks. And the reason we don't take risks for many of us is because we fear failure. You know what? Failure is nothing to fear. I have failed so many flipping times in my life. You don't die. You don't die. Failure doesn't kill you. It's getting up again. And you know the Bible, the New Testament, is full of encouragements to persevere, to keep going, to keep fighting, to keep going on. You know, when... when um, when I became a Christian, I wanted to do what I'm doing now. From the, the day I met Jesus, I just wanted to tell people about Jesus. But I didn't, I didn't think I wanted to lead Soul Survivor or do anything like that. I didn't know what I was talking. You know, I thought maybe it's going as a missionary. I, I didn't have a concept. But you know what? Everything I tried until I was 29 failed. Everything I tried. Everything I did. You know, I, um, I, I, I worked as an accountant till I was 29. And um, um, I wasn't a very good one. Uh, but in my spare time, I led the youth group at my little Baptist church. And I started an open youth club uh, because I wanted to get the kids from the estate in. And I ran it with two of the young people, a guy and a girl. And, uh, um, and they're these kids that were really rough kids came in. And one day, uh, two of them came with knives because they hated each other. And they were going to have a knife fight. And I heard about it. And I tried to get in the way and say to them, I didn't really want them to have a knife fight in the church. And they said they didn't care what I was saying, but they didn't say it like that. And then, basically, um, a riot started. Some of the lads pulled this radiator um, off the, um, off the, the side of, of the building. And, uh, and hot water started gushing out. And then the others started wrecking the church. And we had to lock, I had to lock this, little, this girl, Nikki, who was helping me. She was in my youth group, in the tuck shop, in the kitchen, because some of the bigger lads were wanting to make her acquaintance. And basically, they started beating me up. Uh, the other young guy who was helping me, he escaped and he went to a phone box in those days and he phoned the police. And police cars came with sirens blaring and got, got rid of, of the kids. And you know, as they, as they got them out, I stood there in the church and it was a wreck. And then the deacons arrived because the police got in touch with them. And the deacons came and I remember the church secretary... Uh, Betty, a lady called Betty Fox and two of the other deacons, they stood in the church foyer with me and she said to me, she said, Mike, what have you done to our church? What have you done to our church? And at that moment, you know, I knew, I knew I'd messed it up. I knew that I'd never get the youth group back. Those kids would never trust me again. They'd never come back and the church would never let me do do it. And I didn't know what to say. I just felt broken. And I just stood there and I cried. And the deacons went and hid when I cried. And they hid in a room until I stopped crying, until it was safe.
And, and then I, I organized a mission of the churches in Kenton, uh, um, the Kenton group of churches where our church was one of them. And uh, I was helped by this, um, this lady and we got this speaker to come and we got this Christian drama group to come and we got these musicians to come and, and we got posters out. Hardly anyone turned up for the mission. It was a week of disaster. Uh, there was one meeting in the Presbyterian church where it was just me and this lady in the congregation and this whole thing going on and it was this big church and we were the only ones there. It was a disaster. It was a total and utter failure. Then my final one, and I've got quite a few others, but the final one I'll tell you is uh, I persuaded our church to do a, a nativity play evangelistically um, and uh, uh, I kind of was the director and the producer of the nativity play and to cut a long story very short I got someone to do the costumes we got various people cast in various roles and for the role of the shepherds I asked three lads who had been coming to that open youth club but who some I kept still kept some contact with and I wanted to involve them and I said would you be the three shepherds well, when it came to the night, Betty Fox, the church secretary, who I mentioned earlier, she was the angel Gabriel. Uh, the church was full of neighbors. We invited all our neighbors to come. The church was full. And uh, uh, Betty said, the three shepherds haven't turned up. I said, what do you mean the three shepherds haven't turned up? And they weren't there. Eventually, just before we were due to start, one of the shepherds turned up and he was drunk. It was this 18-year-old this, this lad, he was drunk. And I should have known better, but I panicked. So we put some black coffee down him, and I dressed him in his little shepherd costume in his nighty. Then came the moment when the angel Gabriel came out one end of the stage and we pushed this one shepherd out the other end. He, he went out and under we saw at that point under his costume there were these big boots and uh, he kind of blinked. He looked round at all these people he swore and he fell off the stage. And that nativity plate was a total and utter disaster. The worst meeting I have ever been in in my life was the deacons meeting following that. When they, one of them, one of them, this guy called Eric Meacher absolutely destroyed me. He made a speech and all the others, they wouldn't look at me. They all looked down and he said, Mike, we are ashamed of you. We are ashamed of what has happened. You have humiliated us in front of all the neighborhood. We should have known you couldn't do this. We should have known you'd have made a mess. Why did we listen to you? Uh, you have let this church down. You have let us down. I, I just wanted to die. You know, I could have walked away. I could have said, yeah, I'll never try anything like that again. But you know, sometimes God doesn't let go of you. Sometimes God says, he says keep going. I ended up at I heard about this church that they prayed for people and stuff happened. And I just went there because I needed to get healed. I went there because everything had gone wrong. And to my amazement, after a couple of years, they asked me if I'd be the youth worker at the church. I couldn't believe it. And you know what? I'm not doing anything different now to what I was doing when I was in my 20s. I think God was just testing me. Would I keep going? Or would I quit? There's a Norwegian proverb that says a hero is someone who holds on one minute longer. Just hold on one minute longer. And I'm saying that to you because I, I know that some of you, you'll be struggling with things. You'd have tried things and they would have failed. You'd have gone for things and they wouldn't have happened. And I think what God wants to say to you is get up. 
keep seeking him persevere. Uh, sometimes when I moan at Andy because I'm tired or because, uh, uh, I, I, you know, there's something, he, he often says to me, man up, Pilavachi. Man up, Grandpa. You know, and, 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 and actually, although it annoys me whenever he says that to me, uh, a little bit, I want to say that to us. It's time. It's time uh, we rose up and we became all, uh, we choose to be all that God has for us to be. And uh, the, the second thing I just want to say, and I'll say it a lot briefer, um, is the, the other bit of this. The, there's two things I've learned. One is that, that, that victory goes to those who still are still there. Just stay there. Just be there. Just don't give up. Don't give up. And the second thing is God loves teamwork. God loves it when it's in, in a team. God, God can do more when we serve him together when we walk with him together, when we have adventures together, than when we try and do it on our own. Our own. God is not into Lone Ranger Christianity. Uh, he's into family. He's into community. Because you know God is community. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. God has never been an individual in all God's existence. He's always been Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he calls us to build friendships. There's a scripture I was just reading um, this morning that I love. Uh, in 1 Peter um, chapter 2, verse 22. Uh, chapter 1, verse 22. Yeah, he says this, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. For you have been born again, not of, of perishable seed, but of imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. So that you have sincere love for each other, love one another deeply from the heart. And you know, the, the second challenge I want to give you, the first one is to be courageous, be bold, uh, be what God said to Joshua. Uh, go for it. Go for an adventure. Don't, don't give, give in. The second one is build friendships. Build friendships with one another. Build friendships that last. Build friendships that, that mean something. Build friendships where it's, it's more than just about you. Uh, if you want to serve Jesus, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to have an adventure, don't try and do it on your own. Find one or two others. Seek them out who want the same thing. And then commit yourself to cheering them on. Commit yourself to, 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 to listening to God with them. Commit yourself because there's so much more that God can... You know, God loves it when we do it in community. God loves it when we do it as an army rather than as a bunch of individuals. And I don't want to get corny here, but I will just say um, a little bit. Um, um, Crofty, uh, uh, nine years ago, uh, came to spend a year as my intern. Uh, and, uh, and we've been friends ever since. And we couldn't be more different. You know, we couldn't be more different. Uh, I'm, I'm very fit and muscular. He is a stick insect. Uh, you know, I'm... Maybe not quite like that. You know, we, in, in personality, in temperament, we couldn't be more different. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm enthusiastic and, and I'm passionate and I'm human. And he's a robot. Um, now, I may be saying this just from my point of view. Uh, but um, uh, Andy's very uh, thoughtful and he prepares well. And he's disciplined and he's hardworking. And uh, all of that stuff, uh, you want to say something, do you? And... Uh, and uh, and, um, and I may be not quite like that, but you know, in all of this stuff, you know, God's called us to work together. 
And God's called us to serve together. And it actually, the truth is, it's been an incredible joy. And I couldn't have done, uh, I, could, I know God wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to do the things God's asked me to do in the last nine years if I hadn't had Crofty uh, cheering me on. Uh, there was uh, two nights ago, um, you know, he, 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 was, he was listening yet again to me telling him uh, what I was going to say and giving me advice and saying, I don't think you should go there. Maybe that. Last night, I was doing the same for him. And you know, there's something that ha- that's wonderful when, when you serve together and you don't mind who gets the credit. And actually, you rejoice when, 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 your, when your brothers and sisters succeed. Uh, it gives you joy when, because it's, it's about the kingdom. It's about the kingdom. Uh, you, you go. Just, 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 to, just to add to that really briefly is just that um, friendships are something that I've found I had to learn how to do. And this is where it all ties in. You know, it's like um, we grew up with a certain way of this is how we're meant to do friendship. And what, what happens is when we get to know God, our relationships with one another out of our relationship with God, they, they often deepen. And so I, I find that I've had to learn how to have friendships. And so since I became a Christian, one of the things that I began to do is talk to, you know, some of my mates about stuff we never used to talk about. So again, I've got guys I know who've been together. We grew up at school together. They're not Christians and things. And I remember sitting in a pub with them a little while ago saying, look, I've always found this a little bit difficult in this area of my life, like uh, with my brother. And then they sort of looked awkwardly at their pints for a few minutes. And then one of them said, do you know what? I've, I've actually found that really hard with my brother as well. And then the third one said, and I've always found this a little bit difficult with my family. And suddenly, out of nowhere, we started having a conversation that was a little bit deeper from what we normally have. But friendship, on one level, is like, it's like a learned skill. And the idea of the perfect friendship doesn't exist. And the reason it doesn't exist is because none of us are perfect. So Mike and I, although we are the best of friends, occasionally we really pee each other off. And um, it's, not, it's not often when he slags me off on stage. It, it's like when we do other things. So I, over the last year, there have been times when Mike has been particularly stressed or, or whatever, and I've, I've let him down in one way or another. Maybe, I, maybe I've been a bit angry or a bit short with him or got a bit irritated or, or something like that, and I let him down. And then he has to forgive me for that. And that's a little bit difficult, and it's a little bit painful. And there have been other times when he's let me down, and then I have to come back to the fact that, okay, I've got to remember you are not Mr. Perfect, and I have to forgive you. But those things, which again, as blokes, we often, let's be honest, we don't talk about that sort of stuff very much, do we? That's part of growing real friendships. And I'm not sure that we would have the sort of friendship that we have if we hadn't gone through times that's genuinely been pretty difficult and pretty tough. And the final thing I'll say is one of the reasons I think teams work is because I've got gifts that Mike doesn't have and Mike's got gifts that I don't have and so we make a stronger team you know he brings stuff to the table and I'll maybe bring a few things to the table and that way we're able to go further and it's like that was always meant to be the image that was always how it was meant to be it was never we have to get out of the mindset of it being I'm the superman out in front of all the rest of you wimps it's actually let's go for this together and and one thing I would encourage all of us here to do is to find one or two guys who we think we can commit to to serving Jesus together in the coming years and as I was saying my friend Paddy he sends me a text every time I do a talk saying I'm praying for you and I try and support him in his job which has nothing to do with ministry it's finding those one or two and it won't be more than one or two 
but just saying, I'm going to commit to this, and I'm going to commit to going with you wherever God calls you. And just to, just to finish off on that uh, re- really quickly, it, it, you know, it's, it's also, it's also uh, about, you know, we live in, in, we're the me generation. You know, everything, we, we, we worship the unholy trinity of me, myself, and I. Even the names we give our gadgets, you know, iPhone, iPad, iTunes, it's all about I. And, uh, and uh, everything, everything in our culture... Um, uh, taps into the whole individualistic thing. It all taps into that. You know, when we first went to school, um, you know, we got that, um, you know, given that, that sheet where we had to fill in the blanks and it says, all about me. And then in the center, there's my face. And then there's my three likes, my three dislikes, my three best friends. And then everything that happens since then, it's, it's all about I've got to be happy. It's all about the most important thing in life is that I'm fulfilled, that I express myself, that I'm happy, and all of that stuff. And, <clears throat> and you know, the Bible says that's not the way. That's not true. The way to find your life is to lose it. And the way, the way to gain your life is to give it away. And the way up is down. And, uh, and it, you, you find your identity when you live a life for him and for other people. And in our me generation, learning to serve together. You know, even we've carried it into the Christian church. You know, I'm tired of so many. I, I keep getting, you know, people talking to me, um, you know, about, um, oh, my anointing. Uh, my ministry, uh, my calling. And it's like, you know, why is it always about my? Why is it also always about me? How about, how about you know, if, if you want, want to know what your calling is, find out who you're called to do life with. You work that out in that context. If you want to know what your ministry is, what your anointing is, you know what, you, you don't have an anointing. Neither do I. There's, a, there's only one who's anointed, and he's called in the Bible the anointed one. It's Messiah in Hebrew, Christ in Greek, the anointed one. He's the anointed one, Jesus. And what happens is we all share a little bit in his anointing. So again, we've got to stop looking at life and ministry in, through the lenses of me. It's us. And you know the best way, what Andy was saying this morning, it's, it's about washing feet. It's about giving it away. It's about serving others. It's about spending ourselves for others. Because that's where we find ourselves. That's what we find what, what we're for. And you know, that's where the power comes from. The power comes in that place. Uh, Robbie um, said to us um, a couple of days ago when he first arrived, something that we've thought about anyway, but it's so true. He said, you know the place where you see miracles, where you see power, is when your level of desperation is higher than your fear of failure. Because most of us, our fear of failure or our fear of being out of control is so strong that, it, that we'll keep control. But when we get so desperate to see him at work, when we get so desperate to see people freed up, when we long to see his kingdom come, and that longing is bigger than our fear of failure or our fear of being out of control, we will go for it. And you know, that's the place when God does it. That's the place where miracles happen. That's the place where the world is changed. And I, I'm, I'm, my longing for you, and this, I finish with this, my longing for you guys is I know, I know that every person here has a destiny. 
Every person here has, we, we all have stuff that God has for us. And I want to encourage you with all my heart, press in, press on. Don't think you're not good enough. Don't think you don't know enough. <clears throat> don't think you're not spiritual enough. Don't think you're too weak. Uh, we could say all that about us. If, if we had time, we, we don't. <clears throat> Both Andy and I could give you a whole, a whole hour on, <clears throat> on our insecurities, our weaknesses, <clears throat> our failures. But it's about his grace. It's about his kindness. It's about his mercy. And it's about him pouring his, his treasure in jars of clay. When I am weak, then I am strong, says Paul to the Corinthians. For God's power is made perfect in my weakness. That's how it works. God's power in your weakness. God's power in my weakness.